Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is taken from Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 54. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Heidi, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Let me encourage you to uh, keep those uh, Bibles open in front of you, page uh, 1046, as we continue looking through uh, this section of Luke's Gospel uh, on Sunday evenings. There aren't many weeks that pass by without news of a tragedy somewhere in the world. Yesterday it was Ankara, the capital of Turkey. 95 people killed and dozens injured through a bomb blast during a peace rally of all things. Last week the US was reeling from yet another moment of gun madness at a college in Oregon. Here in Britain we heard the tragic accident in Coventry as a bus careered out of control into a Sainsbury's store, killing an eight-year-old boy and a woman in her 70s. And then there was the, the murder of PC Dave Phillips in Merseyside, leaving behind a wife and two daughters. Over the summer, we were brought news of terrorist attacks and earthquakes and civil wars. Suffering and sadness is never far away from us. And not only on a global scale and in the news, ordinary people who never make the news headlines face struggles as victims of crime and abuse and feel the pain as relationships break down and not to mention illness and death striking our families. 
And because of that, the question of suffering is never far away. When the uh, Indian Ocean tsunami on Boxing Day 2004 killed more than 250,000 people, it understandably caused many to ask some serious questions. Melanie Phillips, writing in the Daily Mail, asked, how can you believe in a God who permits suffering on this scale? Martin Kettle, writing in The Guardian, said that while events like 9-11 can be explained as an act of fallen humanity, the tsunami was indisputably an act of God. And so he asked, what kind of God would act that way? Suffering causes us to stop and ask questions, questions about the existence of God and the character of God. Does God exist? And if he does, what is he like to allow something like this happen? Now, look, the question of suffering is a huge one. There are no easy answers. Indeed, whenever we talk about suffering, we must avoid quick, trite, superficial answers. But there are answers. Suffering and injustice is tackled head on right through the pages of the Bible. And in Luke's gospel, in our reading today, Jesus himself engages with this very question of suffering. As we look at this passage, let me say this is not everything there is to say on suffering. Far from it. But we do have here a response from Jesus when tragedy strikes. Uh, Earlier in in chapter 12, Jesus has been telling the crowd around him to be ready for a day of cataclysmic proportions, a day when God will wrap up history as we know it, a day when the Lord Almighty would hold all humanity to account. Jesus in chapter 12 was speaking of what he called the day of final judgment. As he spoke of that day, so at the end of chapter 12, he rebuked his listeners for being good at predicting the weather, but missing the sign of the times. Look what he says in chapter 12, the beginning of the reading that Heidi just read for us. Chapter 12, verse 54. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. We Brits love talking about the weather. We have endless weather forecasts on the television and the radio. But even without television weather forecasters with their fancy charts and computerised graphics, we know how to interpret the weather. So if I say to you, red sky at night, you will say... There we are, good, you're still with me, fantastic. Have you got that up there as well, you all know this? Okay, yeah, 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 some of you, okay, good. We know it's going to be a beautiful day uh, if the, the sky is red the night before. If I say red sky in the morning, you will say... Fantastic. Brilliant. So I couldn't have done it better myself. We know that when there's a red sky in the morning, the day ahead is going to be rotten weather. We know how to interpret the weather. It was the same for those in Jesus' day when he was speaking. In verse 54, when they saw a cloud rising in the west, they knew they needed to take a brolly with them. Verse 55, when they felt a south wind blowing, they knew it was time to put on their shorts and get down to the beach. But despite being able to interpret the weather, Jesus rebuked them because they weren't able to understand what the events of the day meant for them. And so Jesus says, verse 56, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? This is a a severe warning from Jesus. You've worked out the weather signals. That doesn't matter that much, really, when you think about it but you stubbornly refuse to do the same with world events. And that really does matter. 
And so someone in the crowd asked Jesus to explain and interpret an event that had rocked the nation, a a tragedy that had recently occurred in Jerusalem. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. There was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, was well known as a, a vicious and ruthless man, but on this occasion he excelled in his cruelty. In an act of religiously motivated and brutal terrorism, he ordered a group of Jews to be murdered. And then he had their blood mixed with the blood of their animal sacrifices. It was an act designed to cause maximum religious outrage, not to mention how cruel and heartless it was. Now, news about that atrocity reverberated around Israel. It would have shocked the nation just as the bombing in Ankara yesterday has rocked Turkey. Pilate's act... Um, was uh, outrageous, as outrageous as the terrorist attacks on a, on a beach in Tunisia and a shrine in Bangkok. And Pilate's action was, was naked wickedness. And some in the crowd said to Jesus, if we're to interpret the present time, tell us what is God saying to us through that wicked act? And as part of his answer, Jesus spoke of a second disaster that was just as fresh in people's minds at the time. In verse 4, you'll see he spoke of an incident in a town called Siloam, where 18 people had been crushed when a tower collapsed on them. It was one of those unexpected and unforeseen accidents. People going about their everyday business had suddenly lost their lives. You can imagine people grieving, desperate that their loved ones were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. There may well have been uh, stories of of lucky escapes of of people who would normally have been passing by that tower on their way to work, but who slept through the alarm clock that morning and escaped death. There may have been stories of great acts of heroism, of people risking their own lives to save some. And then there may well have been people playing the blame game, blaming the architects or the construction company for shoddy building practices, perhaps blaming the local authority for failing to respond to calls from the public about the building being unsafe. I don't know, that sort of thing. The point is it would have made the news and caused much debate. And so with two national tragedies in view, the deliberate act of terrorism from Pilate and a tower collapsing, Jesus responds, referring to Pilate's barbaric act of violence. He said, verse 2, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. And Jesus says exactly the same in response to the Tower of Siloam that fell. Verse 4, or those 18 who died when the Tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Now that is such a helpful response whenever we think about tragedies in our world. The instinctive reaction of many people when tragedy asks is to ask, why him? Why her? Why me? Why in Oregon did those nine people die? Why not others? Was this a punishment from God? Jesus' response is emphatic. Were the people who died worse sinners than those who survived? Verse 3, I tell you no. And again, verse 5, I tell you no. Was this a judgment on them for being especially wicked? No. So when you think, and it does go through our mind, doesn't it, when we see these tragedies, when you think, what did they do to deserve this? Then hear Jesus' words. Those who died were not worse sinners. That is wonderfully helpful for families who've been affected by tragedy. They need to hear this. 
Because they will ask, why them? Well, it wasn't judgment on them. It wasn't that they were worse. But it's also crucial that those of us who are not caught up in this tragedy hear hear this as well. Because if we begin to think that people killed in tragedies are worse sinners than us, then we begin to think that in some way we're especially favoured by God because we weren't in the wrong place at the wrong time. That simply isn't the case. Now all that said, it is very important to look carefully at how Jesus chooses his words here. Notice he doesn't describe all those who died as innocent people. In verse 2 and verse 4, he asks, were these people who died worse sinners? The point is clear. He's saying, we're all sinners. Well, he's not saying we're all sinners, because he's not. But he's saying everyone else is a sinner. Now, let me stop here for a moment, because it's crucial to understand what Jesus means when he talks about sin. Not a word that we use very often these days outside of church circles. And even if we do, we tend to think that sinners are especially bad people, paedophiles, prostitutes, bent policemen. Or we make light of sin. Yes, I'm a sinner, but then we all make mistakes and we all have moral lapses. Okay, I tell little white lies and occasionally kick the cat, but that doesn't make me a bad person, does it? We either think sinners are really bad people, a bad bunch of people, or we think that sin's not that bad. But that's not how Jesus talks about it at all. First and foremost, sin is an offence against God. A few weeks back, when we started this series in chapter 10, we read a summary of God's law. There's no need to turn it up unless you want to. Back in chapter 10, verse 27, what do we read? This is a summary of the law of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. See, the first commandment is to have no other gods before the Lord. The second is not to have any idols, not to put anything else in the place of God. We should love God with everything, uh, above everything else. And we should love our neighbour as ourselves. None of us has done that. None of us has loved God with everything we have. And none of us has loved others as we love ourselves. We've all broken God's law. We've made other things more important than God. And we've all put our own well-being before the well-being of others. So we're all sinners. Not just a bunch of especially bad people. And that is very serious because it's an offence against God. And that's why Jesus warns us. See, in chapter 13, look again what Jesus says. Are those who died in these tragedies worse sinners? Verse 3. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And he repeats it in verse 5, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Perish is such a strong word. It is to be utterly ruined. In psychological terms, to be damaged beyond repair. To have our lives completely disintegrate, to be totally and utterly devastated. And Jesus says that's what waits for us beyond the grave if we continue to live without God. And so faced with terrible tragedies, Jesus says suffering should wake us up to the reality of death and make us look beyond death to a fate worse than death. And the ultimate suffering anyone can face is being in eternity without God forever. Jesus is saying when tragedy strikes, when suffering comes, it's a warning. 
a warning that we should be sure that we've made our own peace with God. Just as a red sky in the morning is warning that the weather's going to be bad, so a bombing in Ankara or a shooting in Oregon or a bus crash in Coventry or a terrorist attack in Tunisia should be a warning to us, a warning to us to use our time right, to make sure we are ready to meet our maker. You see, the thing about death is we don't like talking about it. None of us think it's going to happen to us. I mean, we know it is in the long term, but we all think it's so far away. But tragedy tells us it could be us. Did you think that any of the nine victims of that senseless killing in Oregon when they woke up that morning, do you think that any of them would have dreamt for one minute that they, that would be their last day on earth? Or back in the summer while those tourists laid out their towel on a beach in Tunisia? Or those who attended a peace rally yesterday? Or the little boy who boarded a bus in Coventry? Or the lady who was walking past Sainsbury's? Do you think 15 minutes before those tragic events happened that it went through these people's minds that they would be in the presence of Almighty God in no time at all? I don't suppose for one minute it crossed their mind. We don't think it's ever going to happen to us. So when it happens, Jesus says, interpret the events of the world just as you interpret the weather and know that it could be you and take the warning. Get ready to meet your God. See, that is the point of the next parable that he tells. Verse six, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for, for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down, why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Sometimes Jesus' parables are quite difficult to understand. I don't think it's difficult to understand at all. In the fig tree, in the parable of the fig tree, is, is a fig tree that isn't bearing fruit. The owner of the fig tree has given it three years to bear fruit. That's plenty of time. So he's ready to cut it down. But the farmer who looked after the fig tree says, give it one more year. Do you hear the point? If you don't bear fruit in your life, then you will face judgment and you don't have forever. Just because you haven't been cut down in one of these tragedies doesn't mean you won't be. Now look, this isn't everything that Jesus has to say on suffering. There's much more to say on suffering. If you're here and you've got big questions about suffering, you should have. It's okay. There's much more to say. But Jesus is saying this. Every time a tragedy hits the news, we should say, this is a warning for me. It is a loving warning from the Lord God for me to take him seriously. Last weekend, I was with a group of young families, and as one of the little ones wandered off towards the road, her dad shouted out, Emma, stop! He warned her, ran after her, took hold of her hand, and then he gently bent down beside her, and he told her probably what he's told her before, that she shouldn't run away, and that the cars on the road are dangerous. He lovingly warned her. Over the years, Caroline and I have sat down with our children and told them about the dangers in this world. When they were younger, we told them never to wander off when we were out. 
We told them never to go off with someone they didn't know. We've told them the dangers of the internet and of chat rooms, and we've been really firm with them about internet use. And we don't tell them these things to scare them or to give them nightmares, but to protect them because we love them. That's what Jesus is doing for us here. He warns us because he loves us, because there are dangers in this world and in the next. And there is no question that Jesus' motive for all of this language here is that of love. Back in chapter 9 and verse 51, we read from that moment on that Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. From that moment in Luke's gospel, from 9.51, Jesus is heading for Jerusalem and for the cross. And he was going to the cross to save his people from the terrible fate of God's judgment. He was going to die because he loves you and me so that when we face God, we don't have to face his judgment. What love. The 2004 Boxing Day Indian Ocean tsunami shook the world. I still remember what a big impact it had on me. During that tragedy, there were the most remarkable stories of of sacrifice. I think of one of a man who was safe in the upper story of a hotel. But seeing a teenage girl struggle to cling on to the torrent of water beneath, the man run down the stairs of the hotel to help the girl. But as he helped her out of the water, he was swept away to his death. That is just a tiny picture of what Jesus did for us. As Jesus said these words, he was heading towards the cross, towards his death heading towards a place where he would be on the receiving end of the full force of God's anger. He was taking the hit to save us. His death was no accident, unlike the man who tried to save the little girl. He died deliberately and willingly in an act of self-sacrificial love to save us from God's judgment. What love! He died so that we can be ready to meet our maker. And so here in Luke 13, we can be sure that Jesus' warning here is a warning of love towards us. And he says, when you see tragedy and suffering in this world, take the warning and take the rescue that I give you. And he tells us as we close how to take that rescue Look at it in chapter 13 and verse 3, and indeed in verse 5. It's just one word. He says, repent. Again, it's a Bible word. We don't use it very often, but it's very simple to understand. It's a change of mind. It means turning around. It means starting to live for Jesus Christ, putting God first. Now, again, I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of you here are saying, you know, I'd, I'd like to know how to do that. Well, let me encourage you again to think about coming along on Tuesday to the Christianity Explored course. Details are on the back. If you've lost this, then, then look for one of these. Take this away. Come along on Tuesday. If you can't make it this Tuesday, but you can make it the following week, that's okay. Come along the following week. There couldn't be anything more important. Jesus says, as you see tragedies happen, interpret the sign of the times. This is a warning to say, come and get ready to meet your God. I know tons of us here have already done that. We have turned in repentance to Jesus Christ. Well, you know what this says to us is when we see tragedy and suffering in the world, it should spur us on to warn others. To speak to our friends and family and neighbours and colleagues about the Lord Jesus. 
to remember that, that we're all in danger, to remember that we don't have forever. So this should spur us on to be a bit bolder, to bring it up in conversation, to invite people to Christian Explored. I wonder if you brought somebody along a couple of weeks ago to the gospel choir service or someone you spoke to fairly recently about the Lord Jesus, invite them tomorrow when you go to work or when you see them. Ring them up. Invite them along to Christian Explore. Come with them. Jesus says, as you see these tragedies happen, and not many days go by without a seeing one, it's a loving warning. A loving warning that we haven't got forever. But also a loving warning that there is an answer to life beyond the grave. Let's pray together. Our Father, we've been thinking about uh, deep and uh, troubling things tonight. And we do thank you very much that in your great kindness uh, you uh, use these tragedies in the world as a way to warn us of the greater problem of facing you one day, having not been forgiven. We thank you very much for the death of the Lord Jesus that means we can be forgiven and be right with you. And we pray for us all to be sure that we are right with you, uh, to run to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith. And we pray for those of us who've already done that, both to do it again afresh but also to be sure to tell others about you and your loving warning. And we ask all these things through Christ our Lord.